Welcome to episode 31 of the KBB Review podcast from Tainless Media. I'm Managing Editor Andy Davis. As many of you may have noticed, I have officially the most boring name in the world. It's about as nondescript as it's possible to get, and even though I said it about five seconds ago in the same way I have done for the previous 30 episodes, you're probably struggling to remember it already. However, despite that, I'm still very proud of the clear Welsh origins of the name Davis, so I'm delighted to say that that's where we're heading for today's episode, virtually of course. First up, we're talking to Justine Bullock, great name Bullock, and she's from the Tap End. They're a small independent bathroom retailer with a small showroom near Cardiff, but lockdown has seen them clock up the most successful period ever, so we will find out all about that. Then we have Steve Tuff. See, there's another. Who wouldn't want to be called Steve Tuff? It's like he's one of the X-Men. Anyway, Steve is from very proud Welsh kitchen furniture manufacturer Masterclass. They just had their biggest ever product launch, and they did it all remotely probably using Steve's astonishing telepathic powers and superhuman strength. But anyway, our Taylor's Media shameless plug is about as root one as it gets this week, as I want everyone to know that we are fully open for business. We are working on all the normal print issues of KBB Review, kitchens, bedrooms and bathrooms, and studio magazines, and we are planning ahead for the rest of the year and beyond. We'll soon be announcing our plans for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021, the 2020 awards culminated in the big event in March, and that was our biggest year ever, so we've got to try and work out how we're going to top that. And we're developing plans to continue and grow the campaigns that we've started during lockdown with Save Our Skills and Close to Home. So if you're open for business and confidently planning for the future too, and you want to tell the industry or tell the consumer, then come and talk to us. All the contact details are in the episode description. Okay, first up on our trip to Wales is a fantastic retailer from not too far outside Cardiff, and that's the Tap End. And joining me down the line, hopefully, is Justine Bullock. Justine, are you there? Hello, yes, I am. Hello, how are you getting on today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. It's a bit grey and miserable today. Yeah. Good Welsh weather, actually, down here in London today. You're very present a lot on social media and things like that, so a lot of people might have heard of you and the Tap End. But give us a little bit of background about the company, about the business, uh, where you are, etc. We are an all-female team. There's four of us, and the shop has been open for about, well, it was actually our two-year anniversary in April. So when lockdown was in full force, that's when uh, we had our two-year shop anniversary, Give us an idea of sort of how many projects you're working on at any given time. Oh, gosh. Okay. So we have like a different model, I suppose, to kind of the traditional high-end bathroom, independent bathroom retailer. We kind of have all of the high-end uh, aspirations, but the area that we're located in, we do get a lot of low to mid-end budget clients as well. At any given time, we will have a mix of very high-end projects and some low to mid-end projects. So we do a lot of volume in that area. And then at the same time, we'll have some high-end projects. So last year, for example, which would have technically been our first year in store, we did 350 bathrooms between four of us. Right, wow. And in in any given month, oh, well, obviously it's 350 divided by 12 would give you some sort of average. But it can be obviously higher some months, lower some months. But yeah, in our first... In our first year in the shop, we did 350 bathrooms. Now, where exactly are you in in terms of location? Is it like a high street? It is a high street. Um, So we're in Ponteclean, so it's a small town, like village town. But 
we are on a high street. We are the only bathroom retailer on a high street and there's one kitchen shop on the high street. Everything else is kind of like uh, food stores, restaurants, that kind of thing. But we're not in a busy high street. So we don't get a lot of, of footfall. We don't get a lot of kind of passing trade. It's mainly people that will have found us on social media or been recommended by a friend. And then they contact us before they come in. So we don't get a lot of kind of passing trade. How is business for you at the moment? Okay, so at the moment, we're busier than ever. It's been absolutely insane. For example, yesterday we took on, well, at the moment, every single day, we're taking on about five to six new inquiries. And we've had to start turning people down. And we've had to start kind of giving dates well into the future for installations. And then if people are still interested, obviously, we're taking the projects on. At the moment, we've had to let down a project because the timescales just couldn't, we just couldn't fit it in with when they needed product because we're so busy with clients that had contacted us before. At the moment, we're now giving kind of installation dates for towards the end of the year into next year. So in theory, um, we could do with some more fitters because we've got, we've just got so many customers, too many customers, which is a, a fantastic position to be in. Yeah, it's a very nice problem to have. But equally, it's not like that's been a sudden upturn in the last few weeks since the lockdown disease. You've been busy all the way through. Yes, we've been we've been incredibly busy the whole way through. So when lockdown happened, we were busy anyway. So we converted all of our customers that we had prior to lockdown via Zoom. We then took on some new customers and we did everything via Zoom and we sent tile samples to their house. And since lockdown, since we've come back, we've continued with Zoom, but also we've done the social distancing and higher levels of increased hygiene in the store. So we have had customers coming into the store as well. But yeah, during lockdown, we delivered 32 bathrooms during lockdown. Some of our customers had their own fitters. Some of them fitted the bathrooms themselves, actually, because they were quite good at DIY and they had all this time on their hands. Um, so a couple of our customers fitted their own bathrooms and a lot of the bathrooms were in empty properties. So like new builds, self-builds, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we delivered 32 bathrooms whilst we were in lockdown. Now, one of the things you'd said to me was, OK, you've only been going for three years, but you had like a normal May. Well, May was our second best month on record since we've been a company, yeah. So why? I mean, it's the obvious question. Why? And I mean this in the most positive possible way, but you're a small business. There's four of you there. You're on a a pretty typical high street. Why have you been so busy, do you think? I mean, I I ask myself this question every day. (laughs) I really do. Because if we could bottle what's happening here and roll it out across the country, I mean, Andrew, I'd be talking to you from Barbados in my house in Barbados. This is what people say to me all the time. If you're so busy, why don't you have a second store? If you're so busy, why don't you have more staff? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Well, I think the very reason that we don't make those decisions is why we're so busy. We've got two owners, myself and Linda, and we're on site every single day, six days a week. We work from the minute we wake up until the minute we go to bed. So we are constantly working on the business every single day. Now, obviously, the company is in its infancy, so we want to do that and we need to do that. But I think 
that's part of the reason why we're so busy. Then we've got two fantastic designers that treat it like their own business. They absolutely give it their all. And every single client that comes in, we have something for them, whether they're a rental and the landlord just wants to do a nice bathroom for rental or whether they're high end and they've got a steam room, we can literally do everything. And that's what we try and do. So if someone's got a small budget, we'll treat them the same as whether if they have a high budget and then it's just exploded. So everybody gets served and then everybody tells everybody and then all of those people come to us. So you're saying it's just, it's just literally an exponential word of mouth thing that's happened? Yeah, we have the social media. Any projects that we photograph, we put them all on social media. So whether that's a very basic bathroom with an extremely low budget or whether that's a very high-end bathroom with a high budget, all of them end up on social media. And as a result of that, we get a lot of clients that see that and they understand that we can do something for everyone. Then. If we do a low budget project, their neighbour, for example, might have a higher end budget. Their parents might have a higher end budget. It spirals. And I think it's because we we do say yes to everything. If we only concentrated on the high end project, we would alienate everyone with a mid end budget. And in the area which the showroom is based, that's, you know, that's the housing stock. We've got a lot of mid range projects that are available to us. And so we do a lot of volume in the mid range sector. I wouldn't underestimate as well, and, and forgive me for using this word, but I can't think of a better word to use, but the enthusiasm you have for it all is quite infectious. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the fact that myself and Linda are based in the shop, like I said, pretty much six days a week, when clients come in, we get extremely excited about their project. Like We absolutely love what we do, and I think that is infectious. I know that the feedback we have had from clients is that they like that they they're dealing with someone that's excited about their project and then I think that trickles down as well so when I'm excited then the staff are excited and we're pretty much bouncing off the walls 90% of the time in the shop and it's nice like we bring our dogs in customers bring their dogs in we we build up really nice relationships with people and it's a good system I think we don't build those relationships because we're trying to fake relationships we actually love our customers yeah we get invited to housewarming parties we get invited to birthday parties (laughs) we get invited to christmas drinks and we build friendships with people and i think it's really important well that's classic independent retailer stuff isn't it at the moment though there are obvious clear sometimes literal barriers put in place of those kind of relationships what kind of Uh, social distancing measures do you literally have in the showroom we've got obviously signs up at the door i think everybody has run into a sign or or a million during this time we've got a hand sanitizing station at the front so we've got the one that's tall and you just wave your hand underneath so you know you're not touching any of the, the bottles or touching anything that anyone else has used we've got hand sanitizers on every desk and we've got a screen up at the designer's desk now the the girls the two designers they typically used to share a desk so it was a very long desk and they would be two of them on it so at the moment we're doing three days in three days off so they're not sitting next to each other so that's fine that's worked well so far but it just you know it just means we're trying our best to reassure clients that we're doing everything we can and also we're not making the girls sit 
next to each other when they don't have to, just to make everyone feel a bit more comfortable and just so we're being fair. You know, I wouldn't like it if I worked for someone else and during this time I was made to go back to work and literally sit a metre away from someone. So I think what we can do, we have done, but we are open. We're not doing appointment only and everybody's been great. So people are coming in with masks, people are coming in with gloves, people are ringing ahead of coming in. That's all worked well for us so far. And what kind of vibe are you getting from people when you actually have to go into their homes? Are they are they comfortable with that or are they too comfortable with that? What kind of uh, feedback are you getting there? So at the moment, when every single inquiry that we've had since March, the clients have measured their own bathrooms. So we haven't actually been out at all we have a measuring guide and we have a window measuring guide and we are emailing those to the clients. They are returning those measuring guides with all of the info we need and we're working off client measurements. So at the moment we haven't been out and we don't think that we're going to change that in the near future. So we're probably going to be looking at at least another four weeks before we review that. One of the other things that stood out for me in all this is that apart from the social media, which very much falls under this category and you do do a lot of it you haven't really done a lot of marketing either (laughs) we haven't what we try and do with the social media we try and showcase like our work and in our in our social media the client is always the hero you know the client we're all about the client's project and what the client wants and how the client's life has been transformed by like the new project the new bathroom etc what we didn't do when lockdown happened was panic and change our model we purposefully hung back and didn't say oh we're now doing this we're now doing that we just kind of waited it out and continued with our social media in the same vein as we always have just showcasing our projects but we haven't done any kind of marketing on oh we now do this or we now do things by zoom just because we didn't want to have a knee-jerk reaction and then when the new guidelines were coming out and things were changing, we would have to change our marketing campaign or change what we were saying. We just didn't do anything different. Yeah, and and that has worked for you, obviously. Yeah, it has. I think that in not doing anything different, we looked like the same company, whereas a lot of companies we were observing online, they looked like a completely different company because they were changing their model, they were changing their approach but they were changing it a lot. And we didn't want to do that. We just wanted to wait it out because it was obviously, you know, it was obviously going to come to an end. So we didn't want to have any kind of knee-jerk reactions and then have to keep changing what we were saying. We we just maintained the message that we always have. And it worked, yeah, it worked really well for us. You're busier than you've ever been. You're uh, incredibly positive about what's going to happen. Have you learned anything through this process about what you're going to do next? So we used to go out and measure for every customer. And now we definitely realise that clients are able to measure their own bathrooms. So we probably are going to continue to encourage that because it means we can design more bathrooms if we're not out measuring them. And actually, that also contributes to the volume that we're doing at the moment. Uh, Half of my week before used to be going out to kind of measure. and now my full attention is on designing. So we're able to do a lot more. So we're going to try and continue with that. So we're going to try and encourage clients to measure their own bathrooms if they can. So that's something that we will take into the future. 
And really, because we didn't change much, there's not a lot that I can say we're going to run with because we we kind of just didn't really change anything. However, you've sort of answered this already, but there must come a point where you think, well, if we just had another tap end on the other side of town with another four people in it, we could do twice as much business. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but the reality, I think, is different. I think that what we want to do is really perfect what we do, really build the brand name. And at the point where we've got a waiting list that warrants a second shop, that's probably when we'll open a second shop. What we don't want to do is get ideas of grandeur because the company is still in its infancy. Things are going amazing for us at the moment. And what we wouldn't want to do is take our eye off the ball and concentrate on opening another store and then things that are existing store go awry. And I think that the one of the main reasons is because we want to find the right staff. That's really important to us that we don't just want to see pound signs and open another store and then have things go wrong. We're, we're very patient and we're just going to just gonna carry on as we are and see how things go really because we don't want to ruin it, you know? Things are going perfect. We all want to make money. That's why we're all in business. But it's not primarily about the money. We love what we do and we wouldn't want to open another store and be able to do less of what we're currently doing. We love dealing with the customers and we love being on the, the front line. We don't want to sit in an office and run multiple stores. And that's that's another reason why we're not just diving into that kind. You know, we're, we enjoy how it is at the moment. We've got a really good work-life balance. We love working with the staff. We learn something from each other every day. There's absolutely no hierarchy in our team and we wouldn't want to lose that by opening another store too soon. I mean, the enthusiasm just pours out of you and I think anyone listening to this can hear it. It's exactly the epitome of what independent retail is all about. So brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us, Justine. You probably could have designed three or four bathrooms in the 20 minutes you've been talking to me. I know, I do. I can talk a lot. So sorry if I've kind of just talked too much. Wow. I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to slow you right down here, Justine, because we have to get a definitive answer for the, for the most important question of all. I can't imagine a time when you are not positive, but let's pretend that sometimes you are okay. and that you want, you want to put on a song, your favourite song, that is going to make you feel really positive. Justine, what is your deserted Kitchen Island disc? Oh, my gosh. It's a bit, it's a bit cringe, but I would probably go for Beyonce. <laughs> I would go for Beyonce and I would go for Crazy in Love. Oh, that's a good choice. That's a good record. That is as upbeat as it gets. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, any anything by Beyonce, really, pretty much. Well, that famous Welsh woman, Beyonce, <laughs> uh, is, is, is your choice, and that's a very, very good choice. So, look, Justine, thank you so much for your time. I hope and I, I think it will just continue on the up and up for you all the time. So, well done to you for getting oh, this far. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, Justine. See you later. Thank you. Bye. Right, let's see what's happening in the supplier side of things with a trip to Masterclass in South Wales. And joining me is Commercial Sales Director Steve Tuff. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you? I'm all right, sir. How are you getting on? What's the weather like down in Wales today? 
pretty grey, great weekend. Lots of sunshine over the weekend. Lots of barbecues and uh, a couple of drinks. But back to the grey skies day, unfortunately. Let's start off with the obvious question here, Steve. I think lots of people will know about Masterclass, will have seen your advertising and, if, and your marketing. But give us a bit of a background on Masterclass of how big you are, how long you've been going, all that kind of thing. Masterclass Kitchens is, is part of Sigma 3 Kitchens which was uh, established back in 1975 by Brian Nakin. The company's been manufacturing kitchen furniture now for over 45 years. Masterclass Kitchens is our national consumer-facing brand of both kitchen and living furniture. And I suppose we're relatively unique in that we manufacture, we retail ourselves, uh, we deal with the developer market ourselves, predominantly in South Wales. And then we also supply approximately 130 independent kitchen studios across the country as well. So I suppose what that does is gives us a, a sort of a distinct advantage and a bit of an insight to be able to sort of truly relate to the, the challenges, I suppose, that our independent kitchen studio customers face on a daily basis themselves. And what we try to do with that then is we try and ensure that we're providing them with the, the tools that they need to be as, as successful as, as, as they can. That's both with products that we offer them and then the added support from a, a, during a business and marketing perspective in terms of we offer a lot of support on that side of things as well. So give us an idea of what, in normal times, what your normal output is. How many kitchens would you make a day? Well, if you sort of relate it into cabinets, we're making about 1,600 cabinets a week at normal levels. <laughs> Obviously, we're nowhere near normal levels as we speak today. Yeah, so it's you know, a not insubstantial operation. And as you say, you have your fingers in quite a few pies. So what's your view right now, Steve, of how the market is? Well, it certainly is normal at the moment. And like I said, the past 14 weeks have, have been incredibly challenging and i have to say it's, it's a credit to the, the staff and the customers in terms of how we've pulled together and try to make sure that we we continue to operate as, as best we can i mean where we stand now today from a staffing perspective over the last four or five weeks we've we've now managed to bring back approximately 80 percent of the workforce the, the rest remaining on furlough and we're probably running we're operating at about 75 percent capacity as we as we stand today on the sales front, by the time the industry takes to get going again, we'll have obviously lost circa three months of sales intake. So we're probably envisaging that we'll finish the year anywhere between sort of 20 to 25% down by the time we get to September. So obviously not great, but ever the optimist that we, we, we continue to look forward and, and, and not obviously dwell on, on the past. That's a massive drop, of course. But back in February, March time, I'm sure you might have been predicting much worse than that. Yeah, I mean, February was okay, but during March obviously fell off the edge of the cliff. April was non, non-existent. We've then slowly seen sales sort of build in from there. May was a bit of a recovery month. June was better than I envisaged, if I'll be honest. And July is, it started off relatively well as well. So we are, we are seeing signs of recovery. The thing for us is some retailers have obviously got back up to speed quicker than others, and some are naturally still pretty cautious in their approach to the new way in terms of how they need to operate the, the, the business. But we've been pretty encouraged by the volume of, of new leads that, a customer, that our customers appear to be working on. I stress the word new leads because I've, I've been very, very careful when I'm talking to people about what was already in their pipeline leading into COVID and what new leads they've come back to, which, which they obviously weren't aware of before. That's what's going to determine the business levels for the remainder of the year. So that's pretty encouraging at the moment. We're just not quite sure at the moment whether that's just a spike or whether those new levels are sustainable. Time will tell. Yeah, and I think that's the, the debate that everyone's having right now. Is is it a slow return to normal or is this a pent-up demand that once that's gone, we're crashing back down again? As you said at the beginning there, you, you obviously also have a, your own retail. How are they faring directly? 
the Sigma 3 retail shows, I have to say, we, Joe, we've been pleasantly surprised with, with the levels of new, again, new business that they've secured since reopening. <laughs> it remained cautious, but, but optimistic at the same time. The early signs are very, very good. The other thing we've done is taken time to review lots of internal and operational procedures, both in the retail side of the business and, 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 and the manufacturing side. And the retail showrooms have taken the, the opportunity to update a number of the displays and so on and so forth and just make sure the showrooms are, are in good shape for, for customers when, when, when they're coming in to visit us. A lot of the products that we've just launched, and that, that's, a, that's allowed them to put some pretty impressive displays in the showrooms. Well, yeah, let's move on to that because we've spoken to a few people on this podcast about about when the right time to launch things is. Uh, <laughs> you've carried on. You, you must have wrestled with that. Tell me what your internal dialogue was when it came to deciding to actually carry on relatively as normal and launch new products. Well, as, as any manufacturer will tell you, leading up to a product launch, to do it properly and execute it properly, there's probably nine months of work looking at the different products, the different colours that we're looking to bring in the market, the prototyping and everything else. Uh, and the unfortunate thing was sort of the end of March was when our, our product launch was about to start. And, and we had a lot of different events and things planned for the end of March and April that was scuppered pretty quickly. So we had a decision to make. The products were there. The products were ready to go. The, the catalogs had been updated. Brochures had been sent off to the printers and so on and so forth. And we had a decision what to do and how, how we were going to execute the launch. And uh, we made a decision that we were going to have a digital launch, which is something we've never even considered. And, and they was doing all hands on deck to, to actually sort of get ready for that. It's like with anything. I mean, you can sit there and you can have your head in your hands and think, do you mean, what if do you mean, we should have had customers down at this point and everything else? But we just got on with things. And I have to say, Jim, what the digital product launch allowed us to do, which do you know, stated in the obvious, it allowed us to launch the products to every single customer we had at the same time, rather than doing it over a four, five, six week period. So it was great from that perspective. And then we followed that up with a, a live Q&A session four days after the launch we got our customers engaged in terms of any questions they had following the launch we prepared a lot of video content uh Jill and i felt pretty uncomfortable having to go in in front of the camera it's completely different when you presented the customers in, the, in front of you but we, we went on camera and presented the product launch as a whole and then we produced uh, four short videos breaking the product launch down into, into smaller sections and they they seemed to go down really well with customers just explaining how the products were meant to be used together, the, the reasons for bringing the products out. And uh, the live Q&A then really was a, a follow-up to that, whereby we had, 90, I think it was 96 of our, our, our customers engaged with us during that first session, which was four days after launch. So that, again, was incredible numbers. I was really sort of taken back with how successful that was um, because it was new for the customers as well. I mean, they're, they're not used to uh, having a product launch given to them in this way either. And, uh, and we've we've had some absolutely incredible responses back and, People have been very complimentary and people sort of sending me messages going 10 out of 10, best product launch ever. Uh, so it seems to have gone down very, very well. I don't, I don't think it's perfect, but we're very self-critical and uh, we're, we're quite passionate with what we do. But I, it's made us think differently. Uh, it's allowed us to get the messages out and get these new products out to the market relatively quickly rather than have to wait until we can bring retailers down to Cardiff to see us again. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone very well. I think what's interesting in it, that's come out of a lot of this, and we've talked about it a lot on different episodes here, is that it's about expanding the choice that people have in the way that they communicate with you. So this isn't about replacing anything. It's about Absolutely. saying, well, look, how, how do you want to talk to us? You can talk to us in person. You can come down to have a, to an event. You can do it all through through digital. This is all about how you want to be communicated with at any given time. And I think that's what 
retailers have learned that with their customers, but the suppliers have learned it with their retail clients too, is it's all about an offer of choice, not an absolute choice. Andrew, this, this technology has been there for a long, long time. And I think we've all dipped in and dipped out over the course of the last 12, 18 months, two years, whatever it may be. And we, we do a little bit of FaceTime on the weekend with family that may be living in different parts of the country or a little bit with friends and everything else. But I think what it's done is is it's forced us, fast-tracked us into the future in terms of how things should have probably been, been done previously. Personal relationships with us, with our customers, are hugely, hugely important. And we, we like to have the socials. We like to get out and sort of mix with customers and take them to different events and everything else. And I think that will continue as and when we can. But I think from a product launch point of view, the speed that we've been able to execute this and, and get the message out to everybody at the same time, it's something that's here to stay. You've got to look at the positives. You've, got, you've always got to look at the positives. It's pointless being downbeat and thinking, oh, I liked it the way that things were. You can't. Things move on. We've been pretty good at adapting to this, and it's been a huge team effort to turn this digital launch around in the timeline that we have. There's a, it's been a huge team effort. We fronted, but there's a lot of people that have worked blooming hard in the last four or five weeks leading up to that. Now, I know the next answer to this question is going to be, yes, Andrew, of course they have. <laughs> but you, know, you are a UK manufacturer, you are a UK supplier. Have you noticed any genuine uh, thoughts or conversations with people about being more inclined to look for products closer to home? I, I know you expect me to say yes, uh, but we've seen an increase in people talking to us. People have traditionally only sold the Continental brand for some time now. The Continentals are very good at what they do. If I'm being brutally honest, I think the big issue here is there's not been enough of the British manufacturers who have done a good enough job with their products and their marketing and everything else that you do in the supply chain, etc. They've not done a good enough job in terms of taking the, the, the Continentals on. And I think sometimes people get frightened when they say, oh, they're dealing with one of the German brands or Italian or French brands and everything else. I think what we've seen really over the course of the last 18 months, it's not just, it's not just recently and whether it's all to do with Brexit or I don't, I don't know. But we've, we've seen a lot of companies actually who have used to be a soulless Continental supplier who are looking for a British brand. And Joe, I think we've done a good job with what, how we've moved our products on over the, over the last number of years. But equally, there's one or two other British brands that are, that are also now sort of raised their game. I, I'd like to think that we were at the front of that change. I mean, we've, we really have pushed on in the last seven or eight years and we're trying to make sure that everything that we offer, we want to be the first to market with colour and storage uh, solutions and, and, and other things that we offer. And that sort of goes back to the product launch that we've just had. I mean, it's, it, the, the latest product launch is the biggest launch that we've, we have ever had. Again, just, I think, propels us to another level. So hopefully there'll be a lot more customers knocking, knocking at the door and there's enough business out there for us all to work alongside each other. I can't, I can't and don't want to go to any one town or city in the country and supply masterclass through three, four, five outlets in that town or city. That's not how we, we have set our business up. I think we, we want to work closely with partners in certain parts of the country where we give a, a, a real degree of exclusivity. So, so if, if we're dealing with one uh, studio in the town or city, there's plenty of room for one of the continental brands or one of the other British brands to deal with one of their competitors. So there's, a, there's enough room for, for us all out there. Here's the hard question now, Steve. Yeah, and no one's really got an answer to this, I know. But what's your gut feeling? You've been in this game quite a while, and certainly the guys that you work with have been in this a long time. What's your gut feeling about what's going to happen over the next 12 months or so? What What do you think is going to be the state of the market in that time? I think I, it's very difficult to say what the state of the market will be, but I think in terms of the independent kitchen retailer sector, I think the independents have really got to be 
excellent in everything they do. I think they've got to be more technical in terms of how they go about selling their products. I think they've got to they've got to sell the benefits and features of the products that they offer, perhaps far more than they ever have done before. And I think they've got to make sure that they stand out and and are different to the the sheds and the large multiples and things that. You can't just be box sellers. You can't sell on price because if, if, if the independent sector is hung up about selling things on price, that's never going to work. I think I, I see a lot of studios out there that perhaps need to take charge of the sale again. And remember that our job is to take charge of the sale and, 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 and advise the consumer along the way and, and, and offer them a, a kitchen at the end of the day that matches their, their budget. But you've got to sell the features and the benefits of your product. You, you you can't just be hung up above price. So I think technical technical selling is something which I think is going to be hugely important moving forward uh, in terms of where the where the sales end up and, and what the industry looks like in another twelve months time. I, I just don't know. I I think there's potential for us to grow. So I, I have no doubt that we we in twelve months time will have grown our business. I, there's no way I'm sit, sitting here today thinking this might be it and we may have to accept this level for 12 months 18 months two years that's not how we operate i think there's a there's a huge potential for us i think some of the other brands out there that maybe have already got a much larger market share i suppose their challenge is is, is how, how they hold on to that and how they perhaps differentiate their products uh, to help them do that but we'll have growth talk to me in 12 months time i promise you we'll, we'll have moved forward well, that is brilliantly positive, and I think anything that is that positive that has a bit of science behind it uh, can only be welcomed by the whole industry. But the thing is, Steve, now you are a proud Welshman, and you know you are renowned in that nation for your musicality. So the most important question is now coming at you. Okay, so Steve Tuff, what is your deserted Kitchen Island disc? <laughs> oh, that, that's a tough one. I'm going to be very uh, patriotic here. We've we've got to go for a bit of. Tom Jones and Delilah. Julian, everybody likes it, whether you're Scottish, Irish, English or Welsh. Everybody everybody joins in. It is a hypnotic song that you simply cannot help joining in with, even if you can't possibly hit those notes. But that's kind of part <laughs> of the fun. It's like an assault course of a song, isn't it? You kind of have, you feel you're getting there, but then halfway around, you just run out of energy. And the more you drink, the better you think you get at it. Exactly. And the louder you get. Look, Steve, that's a fantastic choice. That's exactly what the Deserted Kitchen Island Disc is all about. So, brilliant choice. Look, Steve, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are. So, thank you for giving us a few minutes today. Pleasure. And good luck with the, uh, the coming months. Cheers, Steve. Thanks a lot. That's it for episode 31. A huge thanks to Justine Bullock and Steve Tuff. Now, Bullock and Tuff, yeah? That sounds like a Sunday evening detective show on ITV. I'd watch that if it was on. Solving murders, of course, but only ones committed in the kitchen or bathroom. Yeah, hang on, where's the pen? I'm going to write that down. See you next time.